Hey, we'd like to welcome you back to our current event and weekly Bible study for 9-13-08. And we're going to pick up where we left off with the last article here, where we were talking about the white priestess of black magic. And picking up, it says, Enemies in the church and the mosques have tried to smash her sculptures. This is this Miss Wergner lady. Tried to smash her sculptures and deities and burn down the forests that shelter them. Now, I can understand why they try to burn down the forest. We're going to look at the, the Bible verses on groves when we're, we're done here uh, shortly. And we're going to see what the Bible says about the groves. Now, I'm not telling everybody to go out and get fires and burn down stuff and smash stuff. I'm just telling you, from a biblical perspective, I can understand how somebody could have got the uh, idea to do that, at least. Then it goes on to say, but there is an artist, uh, Mrs. Ajala, who is actually Mrs. Wergner's adopted son, says that many local people accepted her eager, eagerly when she first came. Maybe you can call Suzanne our savior, said Mr. Ajala, now the high priest of Sango, the lightning god. So they've got all their different little gods and deities, and he's calling her their savior. Okay, and I, I bet you she just eats that up, you know. The first time he met her was the day of his initiation into the cult of Sango, which was this lightning god, when he was 11. His father was an unapologetic devotee of the old gods and refused to let his child be baptized or go to school run by either Christians or Muslims. But Mr. Ajala wanted to learn to read, and he thought that a white woman would let him. He said, I saw some children reading books, and I wanted to be able to go to those schools and read these stories. But six months after he moved in with Mrs. Wergner, evidently she adopted him at that point, he asked her if he could go to school. This Miss Wergner, she shouted, no, you cannot go to school. They will turn you into a Christian, and your life will be over. End of quote. So this is the type of witch that, that is, is bent on taking as many people to hell as possible. That's how I look at this. I take this, when I read this, I take this personally when I see this. Because this witch is bent on bringing as many people to hell as possible. And she is denying, I mean, this person, he was, when he was 11 years old, maybe there was a chance for him. I don't know. But you know what? She, she saw to it. That there would never be a chance. Now he's the high priest of this lightning god. Now I'm not saying God couldn't save somebody. Okay, I don't want. I don't want to try to to act as though the Lord can't do it. But the longer you stay in something, typically the harder it is to get saved. Okay, particularly if it's something as demonic as this. Now the Bible also says it were better that a millstone were hung about their necks and be cast in the midst of the sea than if they offend one of these little ones that believeth in me. Jesus said that about the little children. And that's what I thought of when I read this, that, that she had denied, denied him this, uh, this opportunity to go to a Christian school and be reached. She says, no, your life will be over. And she admitted they're going to turn him into a Christian because obviously she knows that what they would offer him is most likely, you know, it may appeal. She, she said it was going to be like a foregone conclusion. Because many times when you hear the truth, obviously if you want the truth... You're going to know that, that what you've been in is a lie. Because that's all she can offer him is lies. Because she serves her father, which is the devil, who is what? He is the father of lies. All these religions, that's what they're based in. So it truly were better if a millstone were hung about this woman's neck and her be cast in the midst of the sea. That's what the Bible says about people like this. Mr. Ajala is still illiterate. 
but has deep knowledge about the traditions of the Yoruba spirit gods, and says his adopted mother has made him see how important it is that the Yoruba traditions have been preserved. So again, it's like the Bible talks about she's turned him into twice the child of hell she probably was. Talk, the Bible makes mention of that. Yet he is now working to build a school, this Mr. Azula, where children can go and receive an education and also learn about the traditions of the Orishas. So now, this is his demonic fruit. So he's Mr. High Priest of the Lightning God now. Now he's going to turn around and build a school where at least kids can get an education, learn how to read, but they can also learn about these gods. It won't be Christian. So that's, that's called demonic fruit is what we're looking at here. A tree is known by its fruit. Mrs. Wergner's idea about the preservation of the forest have become central to the survival of the traditional beliefs of this pagan system. Now again, this always seems to tie in with the white witchcraft and the black witchcraft. Always seems to try, tie in with the whole tree-hugger, Mother Gaia worshiper type of attitude. Okay, Mr. Davies, a former curator with the government museums, Dictoriate, who first met Miss Wergner in 1989, says the battle to save the grove was a tug of war. He recalls her lying down in the path of a bulldozer brought by a man who owned, who bought the grove from a relative of a traditional leader and wanted to build a house on the land. So she actually laid herself down in front of a bulldozer when some guy who had bought the land, she would she would die for a bunch of trees, okay. But at the same time, she is bent on taking as many people to hell with her as possible. How warped and how twisted their theology becomes, obviously. Then he said, It was a disgrace to the, the Yoruba that the person who came to save our culture was a European, he says. But Suzanne's knowledge of the behavior and the character of all the deities means she has actually come Yoruba now. So he thought it was a disgrace that some European lady had to come there and do this when it should have been one of the Africans themselves doing this. Well, let's go ahead and let's talk about some of these verses in the Bible that re relate to the groves that she is so staunchly defending and would lay her life down for. Let's see what the Bible says about that. Deuteronomy 12.3 says, And ye shall overthrow their altars, and break their pillars, and burn their groves with fire. And ye shall draw down the graven images of their gods and destroy the names of all of them out of that place. This doesn't exactly seem to be an endorsement for what this Miss Wergner lady has devoted her whole life to. I don't know about you, but this was one of the things that God commanded the ancient Israelites to do. And one of the commandments was to burn their groves with fire. Now, I'm not saying to go out and do this. I'm just saying this was a commandment by God in ancient times. This is what God thought of the groves, okay? Typically, when you think of groves, the most sacred tree to a witch usually is the oak tree, okay? And the groves of the oaks, and uh, they've been referred to as the men of oak, and these types of things. And, and many times when you see witchcraft ceremonies, they're in oak groves, okay? It doesn't necessarily have to be that type of tree, but that's a very sacred tree to them. Judges 3.7 says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and forgot the Lord their God, and served Balaam and the groves. Okay, so, again, this is one of the highest things that God would ever say to not do. Okay, in the Bible. It's always associated with evil. 1 Kings 14.15 For the Lord shall smite Israel, as a reed is shaken in the water, and he shall root up Israel out of the good land which he gave to their fathers, and shall scatter them beyond the river, because they have made their groves, provoking the Lord anger. Now, in this particular verse, the only thing that it says they had done 
is they had made their groves. And it said he was going to root them out of the land of Israel. They're going to be shaken as a reed, shaken in water. And he's going to scatter them. And it was only one reason that he gave, because they had made these groves. That's all, that's all the reason it took. 1 Kings 18, 19. Now therefore, send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves... 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. Again, this is not exactly an endorsement for the groves. Okay, and understand, this is the same type of grove that Mrs. Wergner was just bent on defending and would lay down for in, in a, a bulldozer, in front of a bulldozer for. And we're talking about here the, the prophets of the grove that eat at Jezebel's table. And there was 400 of these prophets that were just dedicated to these groves. Second Kings 18.4 he removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Neshtaton. Now, we're going to be talking more about that verse in, an, in one of the preceding, uh, not preceding, but studies that we're going to be covering uh, probably next week. Second Chronicles 17.6 And his heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he took away the high places and the groves out of Judah. So, when your heart is lifted up in the ways of the Lord, one of the byproducts of that, it says in the Bible, was that this king took away the high places and the groves out of Judah. So that was a sign that you were right with God. Okay, so we want to contrast what evil is with what good is. Okay, Now, is this something that we can pray about? God can destroy these things. Why not? They're evil. They're, they're, they're a gathering point where, where witches come together and practice their witchcraft and put spells and incantations on whole, sometimes races of people and whole regions of land. Why not? We should be praying about this stuff. But again, this stuff isn't being preached in the churches, so, this, so the church, for the most part, sits silent and does no praying about issues like this. And think about it. The Bible says we battle not against flesh and blood, but against princes, principalities, rules of wickedness in high places, against powers and these types of things, which are demonic, which are fallen angelic types of, of entities and spirits. And what are these people that work their magic in the groves doing? They're conjuring these same spirits who the Bible says is our true battle is against. So why isn't this something we should be praying against? Now, I pray if it would be possible their souls be saved, these witches. I'm not, but that's between them and God, okay? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Doug just brought up a good point with the uh, Bohemian Grove that we have out in California, where all of the ultra, ultra, ultra elite meet once per year in the summer. I believe it's during the summer solstice, because again, they're totally into the paganism and the astrology things and the days and the times and the seasons. They meet during the summer solstice. They have this ritual called cremation of care, where they actually take this effigy and burn it in front of this gigantic Moloch owl symbol. Now, I'm not making this stuff up. This is well documented on the internet. Alex Jones supposedly infiltrated one of these meetings, recorded the whole thing. You can go up on the internet and watch it. It's uh, Cremation of Care, Bohemian Grove, the whole nine yards. And these are some of the most evil people on the planet, and this is what they consider a good time. Now, are these things we should be praying against? I mean, should we be praying, oh yes, God, bless the efforts of the wicked. Bless the... Now, I understand that the Bible says to bless those that persecute you and, and, and these types of things, but what's the greatest blessing that God could bestow upon them? What is the only blessing God could really bestow upon them that would really mean anything a thousand years from now? Salvation. 
We should be praying that they get saved and that God does whatever it takes to get them saved. We're not supposed to pray that they're blessed in their wickedness. God, yes, bless them in their wickedness because your word says to do it. It doesn't say that. Okay? So this is the difference uh, upon how I think a Christian needs to pray. We don't want wickedness to abound and to prevail, do we? That, how is that good? Okay, so this is why, again, I did that, that teaching on, it's called the Door of Hope, uh, regarding Psalm 64. And it very much relates to this teaching. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Another thing, when we talk about this particular subject, I mean, how many, have you ever prayed against the wicked works of, let's say, the Illuminati? Or the 13 families of the Illuminati, like the Rothschilds. Or the wickedness that you see. I think a lot of times God will show us wickedness, whether it's on TV or wherever else in the newspaper. I don't know about you, but I get righteously indignant. And a lot of times, you know, it's appropriate to get on your knees and pray about a given issue. Again, the byproduct of God's judgment is always, always good. It is always fear of God and conversion of sinners. Every time, if you look in the Bible... So, you know, that's just how I look at it. I think it's biblical. Uh, I believe I can prove it biblically. We go to the last verse here is Second Chronicles three thirty three three. For he again for he built again the high places, and Hezekiah his father had broken down, and he reared up the altars for Balaam, and made groves, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. Now when you look at a lot of these verses when it talks about groves, I only talked about a few. There's a whole bunch of verses. I've got every one of them here. Um, it looks like there's at least 20 to 30 different verses where it mentions groves. Many times it's in absolute total conjunction with flagrantly saying they rear, rearing up altars to Balaam, uh, worshiping the host of heaven, which implies astrology and these types of things. It's very, very much interrelated and interlinked into that whole thing. So it's just some interesting points there about those Bible verses. Okay, let's go to our second, our next article here. And this next article is entitled, The New Head of Voodoo Brings on the Charm. And this is an article out of Port-au-Prince, Haiti. The goat tethered to the tree outside of Max Behavior's home is doomed. Behavior is a tall and majestic with closely cropped white hair, is a voodoo priest who has just named the religion's supreme master, a newly created position that is aiming at reviving voodoo in Haiti. His grand residence is on the outskirts of the Haitian capital, and it serves as a voodoo temple for practitioners and late-night hangout for those paying customers eager to take on an exotic evening of, of spiritual awakening. It is where behavior and his behavior and his followers dance around a giant totem to the beat of drums, and it is where the light, they light the bonfires to summon the spirits, and it is where they drain the blood of animals like that scrawny little white goat, among other things, to heal the sick. Again, woe to them that call evil good and good evil. Popular in Haiti, even among many of those who attend Christian churches, voodoo lacks the formal hierarchy of other religions. Most voodoo priests known as hoguns, operate semi-independently, catering to their own followers without a whole lot of structure. Now again, I've done a lot of research and had a lot of personal experience with voodoo before I've given those testimonies in previous um, things, but uh, previous teachings, but from the research I've seen, 
99% of the people that live in Haiti practice voodoo. And also, coincidentally enough, 90% of them also practice Catholicism. Why? Because it's so compatible. You've got your idol worship, you've got your, your idols, your, your, these types of things, every form of false religion, and it incorporates nicely into voodoo. Now, true Bible-believing Christianity could never, ever, ever do that. And again, it just goes to show you what type of religion the Catholic system is. It's straight from the pit of hell. How could it not be and be so compatible with voodoo? Many of Haiti's hogans recently, which are like the voodoo witch doctor kind of guys, they recently came together in a national federation and named Bouvier, who is 72 years old, as their public face. He is now the spokesman for a religion that follows the belief that too often gets a bad rap and is in dire need of an image overhaul. Think of it as voodoo economics. Even before he got the job, Bievor was a voodoo promoter extraordinaire with his own website, voodoo.org, and as a follower and as a follower among foreign foreigners intrigued by voodoo, Bievor is criticized by some purists as too much of a showman. Oh, the, the voodoo purists, evidently, are not really happy with this guy. Behavior has devoted most of his life to studying the religion, a mix of Christianity, pseudo-Christianity, I'm going to have to add that in there, introduced by slaves to mask their paganism from their masters, and animism, which traces its roots back to Western Africa, which is also where the Haitians and most the, mostly the descendants of slaves originated. The more he learns about voodoo, Behavior said, the more convinced he is that it can and should play a role in resolving Haiti's problems. Now let me tell you something. The reason Haiti is one of the darkest spots on the planet is because voodoo is the number one dominating religion in Haiti. And I've been around enough Haitians to know, and I mean personal experience, to know that yes, they still do most of them still practice voodoo in some way, shape, or form. And if they don't, if they say they don't, they are absolutely, totally, abjectly terrified of it. I've been around enough to know. And the thing is, is if they were true born-again Christians, why are they so terrified of this stuff? Why are they so terrified of witchcraft? They, they, hired, they hired a guy to try to kill me in this particular clinic that I was working at. They, this, they hired him with the sole intent of killing me. I know, they told me. This guy did everything he could possibly do to try to take me out. And it didn't work. Ultimately, I was the one in the end, the end that was left standing, praise the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was the one that had to move on. And this was a guy, supposedly, this voodoo doctor they tried to hire to take me out at this clinic I was working at. He, um, he was supposedly a Christian before. He was supposedly a, a pastor. But, you know, I met a lot of guys from um, Haiti that called themselves pastors. And I don't know one that didn't turn out to be wicked or corrupt. Not one. Now, I'm not saying they're not there. I'm just saying that, that um, I didn't meet one, at least. It ends by saying that Haiti has long been a battleground for Christian missionaries who view voodoo as devil worship and work tirelessly to convert the population to Christ. Voodoo also has one God, modeled on the God of the Christian Bible. Please, give me a break on that. But it incorporates pagan elements that make the Christians uneasy. Casting spells and catering to the spirits are seen as the major forces in the universe. That's what they, they believe there. So that was just an interesting um, demonic side note there regarding you know, voodoo. Now this next article also relates to that, and it's entitled, Mexico is Magical to its Warlocks and its Witches. And the reason I'm going over so many different articles is to show you that this is taking place 
at literally every corner of the planet. We're going to talk about America more a little bit later. But the one world religion of the Antichrist, in its pure essence, is going to be witchcraft. It's very clear. You know, when it talks about, and we had quoted this verse earlier in, in, in Daniel, where it says he will cause craft to prosper in his hand. Craft is a word that uh, most witches would easily identify as witchcraft. And if you don't believe that, all you have to do is look, is look at all the other verses in Revelation where it says by, by means of those miracles and these types of things will they deceive the whole world and the nations and the lying signs and wonders. primary way that people are going to be deceived is through lying signs and wonders and what is the source of those? That is witchcraft. Okay? The coming essence of the one world religion is going to be witchcraft. That's the essence of the New Age movement, isn't it? Absolutely. And the, and the essence of all these other different false religions, whether you call it Hinduism, Buddhism, Catholicism, at the highest levels, they're practicing flat-out blatant witchcraft. Okay, So you can put whatever veneer you want to put on it, but it's witchcraft at its core. And this is why I key on a lot of these things, lest we be ignorant of Satan's devices, Okay, to give us an education of what's going on here. And again, this article is entitled, Mexico is Magical to its Warlocks and Witches. This is from Catamaco, Mexico. He says, to kill a man, Mr. Garcia explains all you need to do is to take a black cloth doll, some thread, a human bone, and a toad. Oh, you must ask the devil's permission as well, in person, at a cave in the hills where he is said to appear in that particular area. Okay, now this is, this is just one particular local voodoo witch doctor guy. Assuming that you have these things, plus the green light from the Prince of Darkness, you simply lash the doll onto the bone, shove it down the unfortunate toad's throat, sew it up, sew up the, the toad's lips, and take the whole mess to the graveyard, reciting the proper words. This man says the person will die within 30 days. Galago said, as a matter of factly, as if he were fixing a broken carburetor. Oh, and also the toad, the toad dies as well. So now, he's saying this, and a lot of people come to this particular region in Mexico, uh, see these particular, uh, what we would refer to, I guess, as a warlock, and they, they recite these incantations, and they can do all these things, you know, and, and this is how people practice their religion in many parts of the world. He goes on to say, there exists good and bad in the world, and there exists the devil and God. He went on, turning a serpent's fang in his rough fingers. I work in white magic and in black magic. But there are people who dedicate themselves only to evil. So see, at least he's, he's got his good days and he's got his bad days. And we talked about this last time. You know, he wears probably white one day and black the next and maybe gray. The, maybe if he's feeling kind of in between. He just doesn't know what he feels that day. You know, just wear gray. So yeah, he's, he's, um, he, he, he does them both. He does the both. Galagos, who is 48, is a traditional warlock. One of dozens who work in the idyllic town nestled near the Gulf of Mexico by Lake Cantamaco. Like most witches here, he melds European and native traditions in his work, a special brew of occultism he learned from his uncle. His cramped cement workroom holds an image of the Virgin Mary and a large crucifix with a bloody Jesus. A six-pointed star is painted on the floor and a horseshoe to one side and a St. Andrew's cross on the other. Now, whoa, 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 a lot of this stuff may be considered Christian, by a lot of the Christian churches, right? I mean, we got the crucifix. That's not evil. And that, show me the Bible where, where we're supposed to make up a cross and put Jesus on it and kind of carry that around or wear it. Where, where are we? Well, the Bible says, take up your cross and follow me. That's the burden of the Lord. 
that's the burden of, 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 of being a Christian in, in, in the weight that you bear as a Christian and the responsibility that you have toward Christ. Doesn't just because you put on, I mean, you know how many people I've seen that wear crosses that weren't even Christians? Now, I've done a whole study on this, on the origins of the cross. And you can just put in cross in the, in the search box. And we'll, we're going to look at that whole thing. I can't get into that today. But a lot of these symbols, the St. Andrew's cross, that's the Confederate flag when they say that. And then you've got the horseshoe. Which is, you know, the lucky horseshoe. Just make sure when you put it on your wall, it's, it's up because you don't want the luck to fall out. Because that's why they say that. You don't, you want to have the thing pointed down because the luck will fall out. He's got the six-pointed star on the thing, which is the most wicked sign in witchcraft. That's the, that's the hexagram. Hex meaning curse. Six-pointed star. Six, the number of man, this type of thing. But he's got his large crucifix with a bloody Jesus on it, you know, like any good Catholic would have. And then the Virgin Mary, you know, and again, any good Catholic. See, these type of, the reason I'm saying all this is these types of occultists, this guy's a warlock. And he has no problem using these very things in his witchcraft ceremonies because he knows they have occult power. Why would we want to have any association with any of this stuff? Okay, many occultists have these, um, have these large, uh, love crucifixes and plain crosses, not to mention every other variation of the cross as well. There's all kinds of variations of the cross. There's onks, there's all, there's different types of variations. Then we go further and it says, the, then he also has candles dedicated to various saints crowding the table. Various saints, I guarantee a lot of them are Catholic saints. Now this is a, a vowed warlock, and he has no problem incorporating the Catholic because he knows it's very, very powerful witchcraft. He knows that. You know what? This guy's a lot more honest than the average Catholic or the average priest. Because they come in this pseudo-Christian veneer. He doesn't do that. You know? These saints, the crowd is table, most have photographs lashed to them. Some are photos of men and women whom the client wants to ensnare in love. A lot of these curses that you'll see are motivated by, they're called love curses. You could go up on the internet and buy them. There's all kinds of things. You can go and do keyword searches on YouTube and find out about the love curses. And there's all kind of occultists up there showing you how to practice this form of witchcraft. And the Satan would just love for you to do it because that's, he just needs a little crack in the door and he can come in. And that's what people are doing. Others are barren women who want children. Others are people with maladies from asthma to cancer. Now, when we talk about this thing, about, you know, these things representing God, like the crucifix or the six-pointed star, or whatever type of cross that, that you have. Think about this verse, Acts 17.29. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, meaning a true born-again Christian, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art, wouldn't that include crosses, and whatever other symbol you want, to, to associate with God, graven by art in man's device. Show me where Jesus Christ or the apostles ever said, yeah, you got to make these symbols and worship them. No, that seems to almost be a violation of the second commandment where it talks about, you know, not bowing yourself down unto graven images and these types of things. It says right here that the Godhead is not like unto gold, silver, or stone, graven by art in man's devices. Why did he say that? Because he knew that if he were to give us any symbol that would represent him, people would end up falling down and worshiping the thing. I heard of one guy that took, in, in, for Christmas, for the pagan celebration of Christmas, he took, and instead of having the Christmas tree, took a cross and he worshipped it. Wasn't that Jason that did that? As though that made it okay. 
but see, it appeased his religious, the religious spirits in him, and it put this candy-coating veneer, because, you know, if you do any type of study on Christmas, you're going to find out it's p pure paganism. I've done a whole study on, on Christmas you can reference. So, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold, silver, or stone, graven by art, in man's device. But see, that's what we do. We've got to have that in our modern-day religious systems. Every single religion has their symbols. True Bible-believing Christianity shouldn't even have it. The Bible says, contrary to this, it says, Ye are the temple of the living God, which temple are ye. That's what the Bible says that we are. We're actually the temple of the living God. As true born-again Christians, when the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside you, that's why it says that. Now, it says, just to kind of backtrack a little bit here, it says, Others... Um, people that come to him are barren women who want children. Now, I saw this one night, uh, a long time ago, um, on this show, I think it was Unsolved Mysteries or something, and they showed this statue that had been brought back from Africa. And supposedly it was a guy that was over there, and he was researching different things about tribal art in Africa, and he ended up buying this one particular statue. And when he asked the guy that was selling it to him, he said, what is this for? And it was this big wooden carved statue. It was real uh, inappropriate, put it that way. She, this lady had wooden breasts and the whole nine yards. She was basically naked, but she was holding this child. And it said, he says, oh, this is the fertility statue. Okay? He says, it's, it's reputed that if a woman touches this statue, that she'll get pregnant and, and have a baby. So they bring this statue back, and they put it at the entrance of the Ripley's Believe It or Not office building. Uh, it was actually inside, but it was in the office building inside. And they showed it, and there was one statue on one side and one on the other. They brought two of them back. And, and they put them there, and this was what they said had happened. And then they showed what ended up happening is, is, is people would walk by and they had heard about this thing. And women would walk by it and they would touch it or whatever. They'd go back and forth doing their daily business. And then all of a sudden this strange thing started happening. These women started getting pregnant like crazy in the office. Women that had been trying to get pregnant for all this time and they could not get pregnant. Now all of a sudden they're turning up with babies. So they took the statue and they moved it to their museum where women started hearing about this, and they started coming from all over the country to touch this thing, and they started getting pregnant. And they even logged it in with a book where they were signing their names, and, and I guess they were trying to keep track of the stuff. And, and there had been, uh, you know, at the report of the thing, I don't know, hundreds of women, at least, that had gotten pregnant right, I'm talking, I'm talking within a day or two of touching this thing. Now, we know that's not of God. I understand God gives life. But it doesn't work that way. You can't do it the devil's way and expect a good result. I would, the first thing I thought about to myself is I wonder how many people, number one, are going to miscarry their babies. I wonder, too, what type of children... I mean, let's face it. You get something from the devil, the price is always more greater, far greater than you're ever going to want to pay. You know, it's one thing to document, oh yeah, I got pregnant. Now, let's do a long-term documentation. Let's look at these kids five, ten years down the road and see. Guaranteed, they're going to come out of the womb probably demon-possessed. The Bible says the wicked go astray from the womb, speaking lies as soon as they be born. It says the wicked go astray from the womb. I, listen, I'm, I can't be dogmatic, obviously, about what's going to turn out with that. Okay, but I sure wouldn't want to get pregnant that way if I was a woman. That would be something you would want to avoid like the plague. And I guarantee you, a lot of the people that, had, that went and touched that thing called themselves Christians. 
A lot of them did. They probably went to church on every Sunday and they didn't. But you know what? I guess the means justify the ends. It really doesn't matter. Hey, I got to do a little bit of witchcraft to have a kid. You know, I'll do what I got to do. So again, just a little side note there. I don't think I've ever mentioned that. Something you want to avoid like the plague. Going further, it says, Beneath the table, Galagos keeps ragged boxes full of herbs, bark, and roots that have been used in these parts for medicinal purposes. Since before Hermaine Cortez was a, was a gleam in his great-grandmother's, great-grandfather's eye. He has dead bats used in certain love charms and ground-up rattlesnake for curing illnesses. He uses oils extracted from lizards and turtles. And then he also uses holy water from the church and then less than holy water from the lake. So he, I don't know, I guess he got this side deal going with the, with the local Catholic priest where he got a little bit of the holy water. Now again, show me holy water in the Bible. I really, I just got to find out where this, this whole holy water thing is. It's pure pagan idolatry is all it is. When you have a devil that is blessing water and calling it holy, won't it in the call evil good and good evil? That's what they're doing. So there's no such thing as holy water. And then he says, he knows dozens of local plants and attributes. He, he wields the tooth, and as he wields the tooth of this venomous snake, as he's doing this interview, he's got this tooth of this venomous snake that he's twirling. Then he goes, he says, this goes back to ancient times, he says. There were witches here before the Spanish. Here there is a mix of everything, even of God. Catamago is known throughout Mexico as a center for witchcraft. And to the dismay of some hardcore practitioners, magic has now become a big tourist draw. The town holds an international congress of witches on the first Friday of every March. During the event, a black mass is held at the mouth of the cave where the devil supposedly loiters. He's loitering. Somebody should give him a ticket for loitering or something. I don't know. And then it says, an oversized six-pointed star. They call it the Star of David. No, actually, this is considered in the occult as the Seal of Solomon. Okay, remember, Solomon fell away. Okay, this never had anything to do with David. Okay, it only had, at best, something to do with Solomon after he fell away and went after the other gods because he took a thousand wives and they were all pagan. That's what happens. Can't You can't... Anyway, that's a whole other study, but... They have this oversized six-pointed star, they call it the Star of David, is set aright. Okay, oh, I'm sorry, this oversized Seal of Solomon six-pointed hexagram is actually set alight, meaning that they light the thing up. To the delight of the photographers, politicians show up to receive amulets for good luck at the polls. Believers flock to the town to have their auras cleansed. I mean, this is pure, total witchcraft. And if you think it's bad now, wait till you see how bad it's going to get. Because, again, this is going to be the essence of the one world religious system. So we're going to look at the word luck more later. But let's just look at some of the terms that we just read here. What does black mass mean? Okay. Now this is what they're saying they're doing. Black mass is a name given to a ceremony <clears throat> celebrated during the medieval witches or the Black Sabbath is another way that they say. Now there's this rock group called Black Sabbath as well which was a parody, really, of the Catholic Mass. Its main objection was the profanation of the host, meaning they wanted to profane the host, which is, even in 
the Catholic religion is supposedly symbolic of the body of Christ. The problem is, is they believe the host, or the Eucharist as they call it, is actually the real body of Jesus Christ. They believe that through the process of transubstantiation, the priest actually has the power to change the wine and the, and the Catholic communion host into the literal blood and body of Jesus Christ. The literal. I don't mean figurative, I mean literal. Okay? So, that is a pagan, unbiblical thing that the Catholics are doing, but they're turning around with the Black Mass, and they're trying to even, they're trying to profane even something that was wicked to begin with that the Catholics started. Now, I'm not saying the Lord's Supper is wicked. I'm saying this junk that I'm talking about is wicked. So that's their goal. They want to profane the host, and, and what that is, is, is it's symbolic of defiling the body of Christ, which was broken on the cross, and his blood was shed to pay our sin debt. Okay, so that's, that's the thing that is probably the biggest thorn in the Satan's side that, that has ever happened in humanity in, in, since the uh, start of humanity. And so the devil is bent on trying to profane what Christ did on the cross for us. It really shouldn't surprise us. Although there is no agreement among authors on how the hosts were obtained or profaned, the most common idea is they, they were profaned by means of some ritual related to sexual practices. And this is true. If you study this out, most of the time they use some sick sexual thing to desecrate the, this host. Okay, uh, They do all kind of crazy stuff. Like they'll take a uh, crucifix, a clay crucifix, and they'll turn it upside down and they'll break it down. And they'll break the arms down, meaning that Christ is dead and, and he, he wasn't risen. And when you break the arms of this clay cross down during the black mass ceremony, if you, if you break the arms down, it forms what we would term as the peace symbol. You ever see the peace symbol? Well, hey man, you know, make love, not war, that whole bunch of garbage. Okay, the peace symbol is actually called the witch's foot as well, okay, or the crow's foot. And it's very, very evil, and it's symbolic of taking the cross, turning it upside down, and breaking the arms down. That's another thing they do in the Black Mass. They profane the host, and it depends how satanic you are, and what level you are, because a lot of, during the really, really high level Black Masses, you know, they'll actually perform child sacrifice, and things of this nature. It just depends what level you're at. Some medieval writers believe that the host was replaced by a toad or a turnip or a bit of dry flesh. But most judges and authors believe that true hosts were given by Christian priests that had made a diabolical pact to the attendants of the Black Sabbath to be profaned by them. And I'm sure this goes on all the time. A lot of people that are, that are high up in, quote, clergy, it's the most wonderful ideal cover for a Satanist. It's proven that the best cover for somebody that's participating in high-level occult is a clergy-type position or a Catholic priest or, or, or these types of positions because it's the last place most people would look. Given the modern practices, and again, I think that's why the Bible says if Satan can be transformed into an angel of light, it's no marvel if his ministers can be transformed into ministers of righteousness. They appear as ministers of righteousness, but they are of their father the devil, and of his works they will do. So he, the devil's trying to get as many people positioned in religious positions, particularly within the Christian church, because he can do the most damage. And again, these people that are at the head of these big televangelist ministries, that's the first thing I think of. They're evil to the core. Paul Crouch, Joel Osteen, Benny Hinn, any of these guys, if we were to actually see what they're actually involved with at the higher levels, it would absolutely... <laughs> you would be amazed. You would be amazed. And it's all going to come out. 
You know, when, when, when this life, I'm not saying it's all going to come out now, because it, to a certain extent I think it will, but in, at the judgment seat of Christ and at the great white throne judgment in particular, regarding the judgment of the unsaved, all this is going to come out for, for all humanity to see. Given the modern practices of the Latin rite of the Catholic Church, which permits parishioners to receive the host in the hand, it is possible to steal a host in this manner. Though priests and Eucharistic ministers are cautioned to be on the lookout for persons who do not immediately consume the host, there are usually too many practitioners in any given Mass or communion service to ensure that no hosts are stolen in this manner, though. So, you know, they got their problems to contend with, like everybody else. Now, it also talked about, we talked about the black mass, but what about the word mass? Well, this is from familybible.org. Uh, it says, Christ's mass, meaning Christmas, has the deepest roots in the Babylonian mystery religion, where the Queen of Heaven and her infant son were worshipped as deity. When Emperor Constantine made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire, he succeeded in creating a blend of pagan Roman polytheism and pseudo-Christianity. The Romans celebrated a winter feast to their false god Saturn, called Saturnalia, which was celebrated by giving and the receiving of gifts. Now, the hexagram is the six-pointed star, okay? And Saturn is the sixth planet from the sun. Saturn has six letters, and if you change the, the word Saturn around, you can almost make the word Satan, Okay, so just some interesting parallels there. But Saturnalia was celebrated by giving and receiving of gifts. All the apostate Roman church, uh, the Roman uh, Catholic church actually did, was to continue the same pagan winter festival and give it a new Bible-sounding name, Christ Mass. Okay, so again, I've done a whole study on Xmas, and uh, you, can, you can do a keyword search there and... and uh, We'll, we'll load your boat on that one. The Roman Catholic Mass is in there. Oh, also another thing. A lot of times people ask me about documentation. Most of the time, with every teaching that I'm doing, I'm trying to put up a PDF, if it's possible, for the sermon. And there's a little white box there with the teachings that it has it. And you can click on the white box and get your full documentation there. Or, if I don't have that, I'll give you a link within... There's a little link that will be within each teaching. It'll say, click here or whatever. It's a little bit lower below the description of the, of the teaching. And you can click on that, and, and that'll give you the full documentation. The Roman Catholic Mass is in their own words. Now, this is what the Roman Catholics say. A continuation and a re-offering of Christ's sacrifice on Calvary. A re-offering? Yeah. Yeah, it's a re-offering. Since Christ's Mass is rooted in paganism and is a festival in honor of the false god Saturn, then any sacrifice that is rooted in paganism would be the same as as a sacrifice to an idol. So they said just about the Roman Catholic Mass in general, just not Christ Mass, that it is a continuation and a reoffering of Christ's sacrifice on Calvary. What does the Bible say about this whole reoffering thing? Okay, well let's let's read there. Hebrews seven twenty seven says, Who needeth not daily is those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins, and then for the people's for he, meaning Jesus Christ, did this once when he offered up himself. So when, let's just reread this again. It says, who needeth not daily as those high priests, like the Catholic priests, okay, modern day Catholic priests, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice like the Catholics do with their Catholic mass and with the uh, whole process of transubstantiation in the Eucharist, 
who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for their own sins and then for the people's. For he, Jesus Christ, did this once when he offered up himself. When he said, it is finished on the cross, it was finished. Okay, this isn't something where we have to continually try to crucify the Son of God afresh, as the Bible says in Hebrews. We should never, ever, ever do that. Hebrews 29.28 says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. He was once offered to bear the sins of many. Not continually offered. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So again, it confirms this Christ was offered up once. But see, it makes man feel like, you know what, I'm religious. I can go and I can try to adhere to the seven sacraments of the Catholic Church and the Baltimore Catechism and all this other stuff. And I can go do this and I can go to the confessional and, and confess my priest to a man and, and, and he can absolve me of my sins and tell me to pray ten Hail Marys and I feel nice and religious. I can go take the Eucharist and feel like I'm placated and this and that. I can, I can try to offer up the Son of God afresh and do all these other things and earn my way to heaven, but it won't work. It'll never work. You cannot earn your way to heaven. For you are saved by grace through faith and not, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. That's what the Bible said. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. For well, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the wages of sin is death. And the only way you can get that sin debt repaid is through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Through his death, burial, and resurrection. And believing and having the faith to believe that he paid your sin debt. And accepting him as your Lord and Savior. These are, this is how we get saved. It isn't through works. Lest any man should boast. See, if we could earn our way there, we could boast about it. Which is what 99% of all religions do. Even the ones that call themselves Christians. Because they're not even adhering to what the Bible says most of the time. Then we go to 1 Peter 3.18. It says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, and the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So it's a, again, it's very, very clear. He has once suffered for sins. But man, in his wanting to earn his way to wherever he calls it, and I guess in the Catholic Church it's called heaven, he wants to crucify the Son of God afresh, because it makes him feel more religious. That's the bottom line. It's not, good, it's not good enough for Christ to have paid the, 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 the sin debt for all mankind once. No, he, that's not good enough for the typical person. No, no, no. We, we need to have our false brokering religion. You know, a little dabble, do you? We, we want to be able to earn it. Man, I don't want to try to earn it. If I tried to earn it, I know I'd fall short. If I got what I deserved, I'd get death and hell. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, if I got what I deserve, Scott Johnson, I'd get death and hell. That's all I deserve. Period. But praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ for saving my soul and paying my sin debt. Going back to this article, it says Sandra Aguilar is a 25-year-old cashier. She traveled 22 hours by bus from Cancun for the Black Mass. A few days later, she found herself in a waiting room of a popular witch doctor known as the Crow, hoping for a little black magic to force her errant boyfriend to return. 
Isn't that special? I mean, you know. And then it says, I lived with him for five years, and then overnight he ran off with another woman, she said. I want him back. He humiliated me a lot, and I want to humiliate him. Well, at least her heart and her motivation's right. I mean, come on. I mean, you know. But you see, this is the type of spirit that this religion breeds. Okay? The crow turns out to be a sick look, slick looking, I should say sick, slick looking fellow named Hector Dominguez, who wears white Gaia shirts, whatever that is, and sits in a candlelit room among effigies of La Santa Mureta, a Mexican icon resembling the Grim Reaper in drag. I don't know about you, where do I sign up? I mean, this, this guy sounds like he's on the right path to me. I mean, he's worshipping this Grim Reaper in drag. Now, for those that don't know, the Grim Reaper is actually, um, from the occult studies I've done, the fallen angel Azrael. And there was a cat named Azrael on the Smurfs a long time ago, that cartoon. That whole show was total witchcraft. Just a little side note there. Even Gargamel, the guy, he was, that's another demonic name. Anyway, a little side note there. Smurf side note. Uh, then it goes on to say, Bitaza says people come to see him from all over Mexico. And from all the major cities in the United States with large Mexican communities. Many simply want una limpia, or the cleansing to ward off evil spirits. But the majority of the complaints are broken hearts. Yeah, I'm going to go to the devil to get my broken heart mended. That makes a lot of sense to me. I don't know about you guys, but you know, what's not to like there? Now, it says, it's, it's ironic because many come for this cleansing or to ward off evil spirits. Why would you go to a man who is totally demon-possessed or a woman who is totally demon-possessed to the toenails? Why would you go to them who they themselves are totally demon-possessed? Why would you go to them if you want to ward off evil spirits? That's all they operate in is evil spirits. All they can do is impart evil spirits. You know what they just did? No, they just signed up for the Adopt-A-Demon program. The more you participate in this stuff, the more demon-possessed you become or oppressed at bare minimum. Understand, you do not come away from these encounters with, with witchcraft, whether it's a Ouija board, or whether it's tarot cards, or whether it's a witch doctor, or whether it's astrology, whatever you want to call it, or the Catholic Church. You do not come away from these things unscathed spiritually. Now, you may feel better temporarily. Well, I feel fresh and cleansed. and Yeah, you know what? You just got a whole bunch of new demons. And they're making you feel warm and fuzzy all over. And they may be suppressing the other demons that were tormenting you for a time. But then the price will come due. And then you're going to be in worse shape than you were than you started out. And it all starts over again. You got to go back to the witch doctor to get more relief. It's all by design. Asked where he learned his craft. Remember the word, the craft? And Christ will cause craft to prosper. Asked where he learned his craft. Bataza says, who calls himself a master of the occult sciences. He's no shortage of ego there. He says, he becomes evasive though, muttering something about his mother having practiced magic. And if you don't learn, he said, it's something that you carry in your blood. Amen. The Bible's very clear on that. Talks about the iniquity of the forefathers, you know, being carried on. And we're going to look at that right now. Generational curses. Generational curses are judgments that are passed on to individuals because of sins perpetuated in a family in a number of generations. Now, a lot of people say, oh, this can't be, it can't be true or whatever. Well, it can be true. 
And we're going to look at that. The Bible mentions generational curses in several places. Exodus 25, Exodus 34, 7, Numbers 14, 18, Deuteronomy 5, 9. It sounds unfair for God to punish children for the sins of their fathers. However, this is looking at it from an earthly perspective. God knows that sin is passed down from one generation to the next, particularly when there's no... Let's say in today's day and age, there's no Christian intervention whatsoever. There's no biblical intervention, okay? If things are just left to themselves, a mother or a great-grandmother that's practicing witchcraft that has a child that has a child and they carry this down. This is what we're talking about here, okay? And this is why so much of the time, I believe there's so many children now that are being called indigo and star children and these types of things. and They're just born with these powers. Well, it's a byproduct of what might start it three or four generations ago. Now we're really bearing the fruit, just in time for the end time deception as well. When a father has a sinful lifestyle, his children are likely to have the same sinful lifestyle as well. That is why, why it is not unjust for God to punish sin to the third to fourth generation, because they are committing the same sins as their ancestors did. Now, this chain can be broken, obviously, okay, through the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. That's the only way, though. They are, they are being punished for their own sins, not for the sins of the ancestors. The Bible also specifically tells us that God does not hold children accountable for the sins of their parents, according to Deuteronomy 24.16. So we want to have balance here. We don't want to just, you know, get a, we want to have the balance, the biblical balance. Moses addressed this issue when the Israelites were preparing to enter into the promised land. He told the new generation that was preparing to enter into the enter in, that they would not enter in unless they dealt with their own personal sins and also the sins of their fathers. The account can be found in Leviticus 26, 39 through 42. And they that are left, this is verse 39, and they that are left of you shall pine away in their iniquity in your enemies' lands, and also in the iniquities of their fathers shall they pine away with them. If though... If they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespass, which they trespass against me, and that also they have walked contrary unto me, and that I also have walked contrary unto them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled. See, humility is always the key prerequisite when it comes down to repenting and truly confessing and truly turning from sin. Humility always seems to be the prerequisite. Humility is one of the few things you could ever do to please God. Okay? I understand there's a lot of things that, you know, confessing the Lord Jesus Christ and believing on His Word. But the humility aspect seems to be the foundational issue for that to ever happen. Jesus said, unless you humble yourself as a little child, you shall not see the kingdom of God. So, humility is something that is one of the few things we can really do to please God, as far as I can see. (laughs) Humble yourself as a little child. Get on your knees, man. Humble yourself as a little child. And um, um, let your uncircumcised heart be humbled, as the Bible says here. And then it says, and then they accept the punishment of their iniquity. Verse 42, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and also my covenant with Isaac, and also my covenant with Abraham. Obviously, this was directed to the Israelites. And I will remember, and I will remember the land. But But the prerequisite was their uncircumcised hearts being humbled. And this is why it's very important, if you see somebody that's all haughty and proud, pray that God humbles them. Because that's probably the only way that they're going to get out of that. What are you supposed to pray? Well, yes, God bless them in their haughtiness. The Bible says, pride goeth before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Pride is the most, one of the most grievous things in God's eyes. Because pride blinds you to the truth. A proud person doesn't even think they have a problem. They're just proud. 
I'm a good guy. I'm basically good. God wouldn't judge me. That's pride. You know? It's, it's an abomination to God. Whereas a mass murderer knows he's a mass murderer, at least. A proud person doesn't even know he has a problem. What is the opposite of pride? Humility. What is something that will always bring humility? Fear of God. That's why it's all tied together. Humility, fear of God. I've done whole studies on this that, that you can reference as well. Just do the keyword search in my search box. Exodus 25 says, Thou shalt not bow thyself down to them, nor serve them. For I, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Notice, that's the condition. It doesn't say of them that love me. That, what does this imply? It implies that the first generation under the third and fourth all hated me. That's when he visits the iniquity. It's not just because he's an unjust God and he just generationally curses somebody. Now understand, we also have that verse where it says the wicked go astray, straight from the womb, speaking lies. And all things are created for God, even the wicked for the day of wrath. These types of, of verses. So again, it's important to have biblical balance when looking at the Bible. So understand, this is conditional when God visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the thir third and fourth generation, it's conditional upon them that hate him. So I just kind of wanted to, I thought that was important to, to um, say that at this point. Now, let's continue with this article further. Not everyone is convinced that Reverend Tomas Alonso Martinez has the enviable job of the parish priest in the town best known as the haunt of devils and witches. Now, we're going back to this article we were just talking about, this place in Cancun. Now, this guy's the parish priest. He has the enviable job of being the parish priest in that town. This parish priest, this Thomas Martinez, says that in regard to all this stuff, it's just a farce, he said. It's a lie. It's a fraud. Now, isn't this ironic that we have the specialist in the local, the local specialist in the pseudo-white witchcraft known as the, as the Roman Catholic Church. We have the specialist saying that all this other witchcraft that's going on there is a farce and a fraud. Isn't that ironic? Isn't that, you know? And yet, he demeans those witches that are infinitely more honest than he himself is. If you think about it. And the whorish religion that he serves, known as the Roman Catholic Church, at least they're being honest. At least these witches are, are being honest. Yeah, we serve good and evil, we do whatever we want and this and that. But yet you have the Roman Catholic Church, which to me is m way more of an abomination, because they try to hide behind Jesus Christ and do it. Cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully. That's what the Bible says. Cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully. And if there was any one religion on the planet that does the work, supposedly the work of the Lord deceitfully, it's the Roman Catholic whore. Don't think I'm opinionated on this subject. I'm sorry if I'm coming across that way. Just teasing, teasing, sorry. Anyway, so this guy says all this witchcraft is a lie and a fraud and a farce. Yeah, he, he's so qualified to make that assessment. In his five years at Catamongo, Father Martinez says he has seen so-called witches practice all sorts of confidence schemes, extracting money from the gullible and the venerable people. Oh. <laughs> this, I, I tell you, this article just really hit home with me. So let, let's, let's just dissect this little paragraph again. Okay, number one, when it says in his five years, Father Martinez. Well, what does what does Matthew twenty three nine say? Matthew twenty three nine says, and call no man your father upon the earth, or one is your father which is in heaven. We're not supposed to call any man father. You understand that? I don't call my dad father. I call him dad. 
I will not call people... Fa- I mean, I may slip up once in a while, but consciously, I do not do that because of this thing that it says in the Bible. So, number one, we've got these black-robed devils that call themselves Catholic priests, which have probably the highest pedophilia rate per any other religion on the planet. It's well-documented. The celibacy lifestyle that the Bible never, never commands, unless you can bear it, and there's very few that can. No, no, no. We got this father saying all the stuff that this witchcraft is a farce and a lie, when they themselves are specialists in white witchcraft. And then he says, he's seen these witches practice all sorts of confident schemes, extracting money from the gullible and vulnerable. Isn't he one to make that judgment? So you mean, like the Roman Catholic Church has done for hundreds of years, Father Martinez? You mean like they've done for hundreds of years? Through the practices of things like the confessional, extracting this information and blackmailing people later, the, the whole thing of indulgences where you could buy sin, you could, you, could, you could have sex with little children as long as you paid enough money, it's well documented they did that, and then buying masses for the dead to pray them out of purgatory quicker, that still goes on to this day. I had a lady that I worked with and she had some lady that uh, her husband died and we went to the thing and... This lady that I worked with gave her this card at the wake. I didn't know what this was. And it was this mass that she had bought for her so the Catholic priest could pray this mass and pray this guy to purgatory quicker. How stinking sickening. What an abomination to God. Jesus Christ, sin debt is the only thing that can, that can get you out of hell. It's not some Catholic black-robed devil doing it. Yeah, they, so when they say this stuff about this guy, this Father Martinez is so, you know, so so grieved over the practice of all these competent schemes extracting money from the gullible and vulnerable people. You know what? It sounds like the local witches have just learned from the best con artist on the planet, which is the Roman Catholic Church. That's all it sounds like to me. I'm sorry. But, you know, one common trick is to tell someone that he is hexed and then remove the hex for a fee. <laughs> Problem and solution. Another is to tell people they are sick and then offer them a traditional cure for an outlandish sum. Catholic, again, the Catholic Church is, is no better, is absolutely no better. They attribute to themselves power they cannot have, the, the priest said, the Catholic priest said. Oh, evidently, the Catholic Church is the only one that can have power, I guess. Oh, I do believe that the Catholic Church is higher in witchcraft power. Yeah, I'll agree with them about that. The fundamental problem that exists with these people is that there are people who believe them. Anyone can set themselves up as a witch. Well, Lord knows, Father, whatever, you did, you've did. you set yourself up as the local white witch in the Catholic Church. You know better. You're worse, in fact, because you try to hide behind Jesus Christ and do your dirty work. I think it's more of an abomination to God what they, what they do. Even Father Martinez acknowledges, however, that mixed in with questionable practices are vestiges of a pre-Hispanic past. The use of Catholic saints also bespeaks a syncretism of beliefs, he notes, absolutely, because it's totally compatible. The idolatry in the Catholic Church is totally compatible with the witchcraft that these witch doctors practice. In his Catholic Church, an icon of the Virgin Mary sits in the alcove directly above and behind the altar. Before Mass, many go to the shrine and pass herbs over their bodies to cleanse themselves. Some leave pictures of loved ones, amulets, and prayers. So, in the Catholic Church, this local Catholic Church, this guy, this priest is the head of, he's got an icon of Virgin Mary. Well, so much for the, for the, ver, for the second commandment. 
and all these saints so much for the second command, you're not going to bow yourself down to graven images? Let's look at that. How do the Catholics get around this? How do the Catholics get around the whole thing about the second commandment? Well, I'm going to show you here in a second. Here's the Catholic Ten Commandments. I'm going to read them to you. Number one, I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not have any strange gods before me. Number two, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Three, remember, keep the Sabbath day. Uh, four, honor thy father and mother. Five, thou shalt not kill. Six, thou shalt not commit adultery. Seven, thou shalt not steal. Eight, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Nine, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Ten, thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's goods. You notice something missing in that whole thing? Well, you're right, because they, they left out Exodus 24 through 6. That's the ten, I'm not making this up. This is exactly the Catholic Ten Commandments. Well, what does Exodus 24 through 6 says? It says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is, that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow thyself down to them nor serve them. Now, this is a whole, another commandment, I believe, that would also be against you know, making up crosses and doing all this other stuff and having all these things associated with... Because God knows that we're going to ultimately want to end up bowing down and serving these things. It's human nature, evidently. Personally, I don't have the desire to do it. But evidently, a lot of people do. They left out Exodus 24 through 6. Well, isn't that convenient? Because, you know, if they leave it out, then they can have all their Catholic icons and all their saints' icons, and they can bow down and worship them and feel like they're good, you know, Catholics. How do they get around this? They removed it simply because it is a common practice to bow down before graven images all through all Catholic churches. Images that are also big business for the Catholic Church. You know how much money they make on selling these icons? Into the millions and millions and millions of dollars. So what they did to compensate for taking out the second commandment is split the tenth commandment in two to make their ninth and tenth commandments. How did they do that? Because um, Exodus... 20, verse 17, which is the commandment they split in two, which is just one commandment, says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is his neighbor's. Okay, that's one commandment. They split it in two. They're, the Catholic Ten Commandments say, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. And then verse 10, or 10th commandment, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. That's how they did it. So just so you know... That's exactly how the Catholics got around that. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and stop here and we'll go to part three next.